Finding the right safe for your needs is an art and the staff at Colorado Safe Outlet has mastered it. Their team takes pride in their no upsell mentality and allow the customer to make an informed decision while never being rushed. I would 100% recommend them to a friend because you really never think about how important having a good safe is until, you know, something bad happens. They had the best brands available like uh, Superior and Champion, and they just had really exceptional service and knowledge, which I haven't really received from big box retailers in the past. The Colorado Safe Outlet is looking for a new installer. Drab requires clean record, no felonies, clean cut, strong build, and reliable transportation. Wages start at hourly, but will quickly go to salary if you're fit for the job. Please call Drew Weaver at 303-333-7233 and check out Colorado Safe Outlet today. Welcome back to the Senior Bowl edition of the BSN Broncos podcast this week. Episode two of the Senior Bowl, uh, Bama Boys 2 trip here. Uh, it's been awesome. I'm Brandon Spano with your normal hosts, Ryan Konigsberg and Zach Stevens. Uh, BSN analytics guru, Andre Simone is with us here. And uh, it's been an awesome time, guys. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, we had a chance to try Saucy Q barbecue last night, which we we hadn't eaten before. I, we, we didn't have time to do it last uh, last year when we were here, we've, you know, our fearless leader, Ryan Konigsberg, made sure that we sectioned out time uh, so that we could eat appropriate dinners at, at appropriate times instead of eating at midnight every night. And uh, so far, it's been a good choice, Ryan. So you guys, you guys, to understand the, uh, the complexity of the story, have to understand that last year, every day, we would work all day, we would record the podcast, and we would post the podcast and by the time we post the podcast it would be about 10 p.m and so by that time there's only one restaurant as far as we knew there's only one (laughs) restaurant in mobile alabama that was still open garden so we went to a place called loda beer garden every single night of the trip so then to make it even better on our first night here after the press conference on monday we we had completely forgotten the name of the restaurant that we ate at every single time <laughs> and our friend Cecil Lamy was like hey we're going over to Loda Beer Garden you guys should come through and we're like oh let's go to yeah let's go let's go to a place that we haven't tried yet of course we come around the corner and it's the exact place that we ate every single time last year so after that I was like no matter what tomorrow we are eating at Saucy Q even though it and it closes at 7 p.m and we got some delicious you know true southern barbecue oh man the baked beans the coleslaw the pulled pork sandwich and that just the perfect amount of barbecue sauce so you're not smothering it yeah oh it was fantastic and boy 
the inside had some flavor to it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, you were allowed to just walk in and, <laughs> I think, draw and write wherever you wanted to. All over our the seats in the booth we were sitting at was people's names and what year. Uh, all over the bricks, all over the blinds in the window, all over the walls in the bathroom. It was uh, slightly unsettling, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> when you come to Mobile, Alabama, I'm not sure what else you expect. I had the rib tips, which were outstanding with the rice and beans. Hey, I, I, it was good. It was a good way to go. Andre Simone got the uh, fried catfish. Yep, big time meal, and I think winner of the day and a forgotten hero is the jambalaya on that side of jambalaya was big. Was that good? <laughs> was that good? That was pretty good. I mean, we good. started the trip at Acme Oysters in New Orleans. We set the bar high. I don't think we've gotten back up to that bar. We won't. Um, although we had a good Acme. breakfast this morning. So, I mean, we, we're definitely we're, we're trying out the foods around here. And now that you know that we're well fed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, if I'm listening to a podcast out of town, I want to know what the food, I, I want to know what kind of food's going on. Uh, for some of you out there, I know this will get some Twitter buzz. We're going to try Whataburger before we leave, probably tomorrow. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, none we'll, of us have ever had it as far as I know. Yeah. We got a geolocated ad. So well done, Waterburger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they got you us. tricked us. Yeah, you got we'll, us. We'll give you an update on that, uh, especially considering Ryan thinks in and out is trash. Me and Zach are huge in and out <laughs> fans. Uh, Andre's so kind of neutral. We have the Andre's whole spectrum. neutral. Very it, much so. on the fence. Yep. So there you go. They're uh, both hey. what we say wrong. Mm. Yeah. Uh, hey, mm. let's jump into it. The show presented by StravaCraft Coffee. Make sure that you guys go to StravaCraft, uh, buy the CBD coffee, CBD infused. It has a, a bunch of amazing things it can do for you. And make sure that you use promo code BSN2018. We'll get that updated eventually. But BSN2018, still going to give you 50% off your first order. So make sure you do that. Hey, let's talk about Senior Bowl, man. We got a chance to talk with all the players yesterday, a lot of the players. And then we went to the first practice for both teams. Um, it was awesome, and, and we saw a lot of good stuff. So uh, let's just, Ryan, let's start with you. Like, hey, what did you think? Uh, who were you impressed by? You know, what's your take on it? I'm just going to come right out with my hottest take uh, of the Senior Bowl so far, and that is that I, I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy. Uh, as the kids would say, Daniel Jones ain't it, Chief. Uh, I just I, – I walked up to him on the podium yesterday, and – I don't know, Zach. I, I listened to him for what about thirty seconds before I made eye contact <laughs> with you from across the scrum, and just shook my head. Nope, th this ain't it. And, and and again, you can't take too much from a a press conference. I'll say this: you can't win any games with a press conference, but you can learn a lot about what a guy can do off the field. I think in terms of commanding a locker room, leading people. Yeah. And when I heard Daniel Jones talk, he just he didn't sound like he had the juice. He didn't sound yeah. like a guy who could walk into a huddle and get everyone's eyes right directly at his. And, you know, he's just looking across the entire place and everyone is locked in and listening to and hanging on every word right. he said. And so that was the first thing. And then when I saw him out on the practice field, look, he made some throws. And, and of course, he's going to yep. make some throws. He's yep. a, he is a good player, especially from coming from college. Um, he, he was a good college quarterback. But – when I watch him throw, I don't see a guy who belongs to be drafted in the first round. I think he's a guy who could be a second, third round pick, um, maybe push a starter somewhere eventually. But to me, you know, seeing mock drafts that have him 
at number 10 to the Broncos, right. I think that's absurd. And, yeah. and again, it's one day of practice, but I think you can learn a lot when you're actually down on the field watching a guy throw the ball. And I just did not see it with Daniel Jones. Here's the one thing I want to just add real quick is that there was a take yesterday that was standing around us and it was either he might be too smart or do you think he's too smart? And I don't think that was it. And I think you even pointed out, Ryan, like, well, you know, he didn't even come off. It wasn't even like he came off as smart more than like annoyed and not interested or something. But, you know, uncomfortable. Is yeah, what I like got. Yeah, flustered, like like Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard and he's amazing with the media. Yeah, right. And, and he's a great leader. I mean, he's probably more leader than athlete. Right. So. Uh, I don't think that intelligence or like too smart has anything to do with it. I think it's just an attitude. And hey, you know, our guy from Missouri, uh, you know, Locke clearly is the best leader out here, and it's not even close. Well, and that's where I want to start is we knew from that press conference Monday night that Drew Locke had the media side. He he knew how to control the room. We said he could be the face of a franchise on the football field. He was clearly the best quarterback out there. Last year, we had the Baker, Josh Allen, who's better, kind of going back and forth on a day-to-day basis. Yesterday, it wasn't even close. Drew Locke looked like that guy. I loved his mobility. His arm strength is the truth. And he he just looks like he's that first-round pick of this group. Yeah, I mean, the word I used in my article, uh, which you guys can go check out, it's, it's titled... Um, Broncos-related takeaways from day one at the Senior Bowl. And, and really I included stuff. My, my stuff on Drew Locke, I, I, a little bit on the Raiders and, and what they might be up to. Oh, and then, yeah. Um, some players the Broncos are interested in. But I wrote easy cheese when it comes to Drew Locke. And, look, we saw Josh Allen here last year who could probably throw a football 130 miles per hour. But sure. it doesn't look easy. The way he throws it, and it's not a knock on him, it's just – the way he throws it, you can tell he's putting a ton into each throw, and he rips it, and that, and that thing zings. When Drew Locke's out there, he's just it just looks like he's throwing it mm-hmm. like any other quarterback, but it's bam, it's on their hands. And, you know, they say that, like, a kicker, when a certain kicker kicks the ball, it makes a different sound, or a punter. Yeah. It just When he throws the ball and it hits someone's hands, it makes that sound of a guy who just rips it. So uh, I agree with Zach. He was – it looked like he was just in a different class – uh, as the re- as the other guys out there, he certainly has things to work on. He is not a finished product. Yep. Definitely could work on his touch a little bit more in the short stuff. But yeah, um, in terms of the 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 tools, it te- it seems to me like he's ahead above the rest. And to piggyback off that really quick, he looks polished. And this is a guy who admits he needs to work on dropping back three step drops, five step drops, seven step drops. And he he does it so quick, especially when him and Daniel Jones are doing those next to each other. And Daniel Jones is supposed to be the fundamental guy of this class, working with David Cutcliffe, of course the guy that trained the Manning brothers. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to have that. And when I see Drew Locke having, you know, just as impressive of footwork, at least for one one practice sure. and being quick and dropping back quicker, he does have a little bit of a sidearm release, a little lower than you want. But yeah. with how quick he's getting it off, that, that really alleviates that concern, at least right now. Locke was clearly the more consistent of the two and looked like he was the more accurate because of that consistency. I thought his ball placement was regularly better, especially on – deep throws where Jones struggled, especially to the left sideline, you know, opposite of the arm side. Uh, Locke was way better. Jones kind of missed everything he attempted um, away from his arm side. But in the intermediate game, Jones did have a few nice throws. 
And uh, going back to the presser and his ability to be kind of a leader of men and the face of a program, I think, you know, the more I think about it coming from Duke, you know, usually these quarterbacks are really media savvy and really polished. I wonder if coming from a basketball school, he hasn't had the kind of exposure that some of these other guys have, and it showed. And now the other news has come out that he's not really taking interviews unless you go through his agent, which I don't know. That's that's I mean, a red. That's got to be a red flag, yeah. right? Because right. he he Big bombed one. it yesterday. He bombed the interview process yesterday, uh, and instead of saying. You know, getting with his agent and his agent saying, hey, here's how you got to answer these questions. You know, here's how I can help you. You got a couple more chances to meet with the media out here. We can we can leave this thing on a good foot. They went the opposite and they turtled. And and his agent said, you know what? Don't do any more media. Tell them that, you know, if they, if you want to do media, you got to set it up with me. And to me, that's them. That's them almost admitting like he can't do it. He's not good at this. Uh, and so him talking to the media is yeah. only going to hurt him. Uh, and that's. That's a red flag for me, and, and and you talk to Drew Locke, and you think to yourself, "Wow, face of the franchise all over him." Is, can can he be the quarterback? Maybe, hopefully, we'll find for out. his sake. Yeah, but but you know that he's going to be able to handle the media. What happens when Daniel Jones? Let's say he ends up, you know, in the New York Giants, and they're grilling him on a day in day out basis. If you're the Giants, you're sitting there thinking, "We can't. We it's not going to work around here." Yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention about Drew Locke. When you talk about arm strength, people, I think, instinctively think 60 yards down the field, throwing bombs, you know, Patrick Mahomes just uncorking one to Tyreek Hill, 75 yards in the air, whatever it is. One thing that really stood out with Drew Locke yesterday, and it's something I, I, even I really didn't think about when you think about arm strength, is how quickly he gets the ball out to the flats, mm. whether it's on a screen or whether it's on, you know, a, a designed pass out to the yeah. flats from a back. The ball gets there so fast, he had to throw to Brandon's guy, Andy Isabella, and the ball got on him so quickly that he had time to get upfield before the you know the defense was crashing down on him. Right. It's not something that you think about when you think of arm strength, but when you see a throw go from the center to the wide receiver's hands in the snap of your fingers and he's off to the races before the defense can even react, you're like, that's an entirely different advantage that a quarterback that can really zip it has and I, and I saw that not only on the throw to Isabella but he also had a throw out to the back that he got there so on time and so accurately that the back could actually was actually turning the corner before the linebacker was even there to make the play right yeah the anticipation which was she's throwing the zip he just throws the tightest spirals too um but sometimes some some line drive-ish type throws, that's what you're talking about when you say he could have a little better touch. and Very Jay Cutler-esque in that'll those come. throws. Yeah. Guys, can you maybe just let us know, you know, last couple training camps, uh, you were there with Paxton Lynch. And Paxton Lynch is a guy that can air out a really beautiful ball every now and then, and then he'll miss a bunch <laughs> or whatever. But when he's on, he shows some arm strength and some athleticism there. That's obviously why he was drafted so high. So uh, what's the difference when you see a great strong throw from a Paxton Lynch and a great strong throw from a Drew Locke for Broncos fans who are, who are worried about the next bus to come through Denver? Uh, it's the arm speed, right? You know, when you hear John Gruden and Kyle Shanahan both talk about Drew Locke, they say he's a quick-armed quarterback. And to me, that's the biggest difference between Paxton and Drew is 
Drew Locke, again, it's easy cheese like I was talking about. It just looks like he's throwing it like any other quarterback, you know, with good mechanics and all that, but it flies. When Paxton Lynch, when you're seeing him throw, it almost – it wasn't quite this bad, but, I mean, results might say it was worse. It almost had a, a Tim Tebow-esque whip to it when he was getting the ball out, and, and it was much slower. And as you know in the NFL, there's no t- – every little variable that comes into a quarterback's throwing motion – is going to be an issue with timing down the field. So, um, for me, the difference was the speed of getting the ball out. It was consistency for me, and not just, you know, making throws back-to-back-to-back. Paxton would be able to throw the deep ball, and then five short passes in a row, he would sail over the head, put it on the ground, put it way off target, where two of them would be picks in practice. Drew Locke showed, at least yesterday, that he's making the deep passes, he's making the sideline throws, and he's making the short throws as well. Well, and I really enjoyed that both those guys weren't afraid to take their shots. That was kind of a complaint I had last year with Baker and Josh Allen was, I'd like to see these guys unleash the arm, show off a little more. Uh, Drew Locke, and to his credit, even Daniel Jones took his shots, even though it was a, it was a mixed bag on, on deep throws, but he was much better in the intermediate game. They're, they're ripping it and letting it fly and, and showcasing their gifts. And that's that's what we're here for. That's what the scouts are here for. These guys aren't afraid of hurting their stock, at least on the field. Uh, Daniel Jones not wanting to talk to the media side. They're they're trying to just go for it and help their stocks on the field. So I, I there admire them for that. There was a couple nice throws that Daniel Jones made. Yeah. I think yeah. the most impressive throw of the day, other than that long one from Drew Locke to Terry McLaughlin from – or to Terry McLaurin, rather, yeah. from Ohio State, uh, was that deep out. Yes. Um, and it was in between zones, almost kind of fit it through double coverage. Mm-hmm. And it was – just dropped right in right in front of us three actually zach was in the press box because it got a little too cold for there, him. there's a video oh, on it oh, <laughs> oh, shots <laughs> I, I was seeing everything better than all three of <laughs> zach wanted the all 22 let's just say no. i was rubbing elbows with some people and it was back to mclaurin again who i think we'll we'll get to in a little bit and yeah the timing was perfectly and i think there's a video on twitter and uh, he almost ran into us so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Zach had to go down to the local Walgreens to get a walker to fit in with the other people. Oh, up there in the my gosh. I think I'm the only person that hasn't had to go to a Walgreens to pick up something. <laughs> for that's true. <laughs> Zach came prepared, unlike the rest of us. Uh, that, that is funny. That no, is funny. And that also notably was to Terry McLaurin, the throw that yeah. he talked about. Yeah. So right. he, he's, he's been, would you guys say best overall? Uh, you know, uh, Isabel has been great, but best overall wide receiver especially if you're looking for a number one or a number two an outside guy this week i thought debo samuel in the south practice looked really good okay we didn't have our eyes too much on him but you could see him catch everything his foot speed is amazing but he's a guy who came in and we knew like okay this is one of the top two or three wide receivers coming into mobile mclaurin was the third best wide receiver on his own team so this was pretty surprising i mean for him to jump out like that instantly in day one was very impressive maybe even the fourth and that's what's crazy is that i mean he's right up there uh after the 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 practice drew Locke was was saying man i can totally see why Dwayne haskins loves throwing to terry mclaurin so much and in my head i'm thinking well, he actually didn't love throwing to him. He threw it only right. 35 <laughs> times to him this year. Right. Uh, and the kid impressively had 11 touchdowns on those 35 catches. But 
you know, 20 yards a catch. He's certainly a deep threat. But he comes out here where he's not surrounded by five-star, you know, uh, prospects and also, you know, the the DBs, and he just shines playing with these quarterbacks. I think in terms of stock, his stock might have went up more than anyone. And, of course, uh, you know, the tank over there. Yeah, Terrell Hanks, the linebacker from New Mexico State, was unbelievable. Uh, just amazing. He, When we first watched him in drills, we thought, oh, man, is this guy a cornerback because he's wearing number two and he was playing so smoothly in coverage. Then the more we watched him, we were like, oh, geez, this guy's a linebacker and he's just coming downhill and destroying fools. Looked good in coverage. Drills looked amazing. Um, and 11 and 11s, I mean, he was really, really impressive. McLaurin and Hanks have done wonders for their stock. Here, ah, yeah, here's how good Hanks looked yesterday. Yeah. Their, their helmets I, I, that's kind of look like Alabama's helmets. And I swear, I thought he was an Alabama inside linebacker just tearing up the opposing offense. He was that good all day. He was incredible. There was a play where he's coming down, and they want the linebackers to meet that back coming out of the backfield yeah. before they make their yeah. move. And he just plastered that kid. Flattened and him. And coaches two yards are surrounding in. him, mm. patting him on the helmet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I looked at the kids that the coaches loved the most, oh, it was yep. it was Terrell Hanks, or as, or as Ryan says, Terrell Tanks yep. from New Mexico State, and then Andy Isabella. From UMass, a slot kid. He's 5'10", 185. And on a good day. Uh, on a good day, um, <laughs> you know, with his mom's pumps on. And, um, you know, he was electric. He was electric. We saw immediately as soon as he came out, like, okay, because his foot speed when he's cutting, yeah. he's getting in and out of breaks. He's just, he's uncoverable. You can't cover him. Me right. and Ryan saw this poor kid. Um, tall kid here from I think Auburn or Alabama um, try to cover him and he just put him on skates mm-hmm. you know and so once we got into the 11 on 11 uh, which is real telling because Gruden's got a chance to see all these guys not only was Isabella out there every time every play but he was moving him around uh, he had him in the slot not only were they throwing to him in the slot but they ran a uh, jet sweep well they ran a jet toss yeah a jet right. toss sweep to him uh, which he came up field and, and looked real nice. Then they ran. Me and Ryan were sitting there. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but they built that bubble screen in for him. They threw it to Isabella. Mm-hmm. He takes off pretty fast, and then that defense comes screaming in, and you're thinking, oh, this this could be a collision. And doesn't he just hit a switch, Ryan? He just hits a switch and pulls away, right. and it was a gear that we hadn't seen all day. And... It was like I turned and I said, the Broncos need oh, a yeah. guy that can change pace like that. 100%. A guy that can change the game like that. They Why don't they ever pull these guys out? You see right. them when the Chiefs and Chargers and Raiders have, have had guys like that, you know, historically every year. They, it seems like they have a couple guys like yeah. that. And the Broncos refuse to, to bring that type of electricity. But I looked at that and I said, man, the Broncos could use an Isabella. What I loved about him was they did so many different things with him. Like you said, they threw to him. They did a, a, a jet sweep to him. They did a, a quick pass to him. And on that jet sweep, he did a spin move 
and mm. a juke move downfield. I mean, it was like I was watching Madden uh, right. of all the different things he did just right there. I loved the electricity, like you said, that he brings to the field. The spin move was really impressive to me uh, because you just, I don't know, I mean, he's a, he's a little white guy, right? <laughs> like, you don't expect him to have these open field moves, and he, you're right, he hits the juke, then another guy came out, and the spin move was like textbook, really smooth. Um, so, you know, there's a guy out here, Hunter Renfro, who everyone knows, you know, he's the, right. the guy who's been at Clemson since, you know, 1972. Yep. But it's true. I thought there was a, a big gap between Renfro, what he was doing out there. Oh yeah. And not Andy even Isabella. Close. Here's what I'll say about Renfro really quick is quarterbacks loved him. Now he wasn't doing anything after the catch, but he was getting open and he was catching the ball and they were looking to him early and often. Fair. And here's one guy that's not getting a lot of love because he played on the same side as Andy Isabella, mm -hmm. same position. When they went to 11 on 11, he's Andy Isabella got a lot of the reps. His name's Penny Hart. He's a Georgia State uh, slot receiver. Yeah. He's a wide receiver. He'll play the slot in the NFL. He's just a tad bigger than Andy Isabella. This guy might be actually 5'10 instead of like lying five, like 5'8 right. saying you're 5'10 and um, he had a lot I mean he really yeah. had great feet too mm -hmm. and he actually had I think better long high end speed than Isabella yeah. Isabella is really quick and he's and he gets to full speed almost immediately right. whereas Penny Hart kind of cut you saw a couple he had to kind of um, you know it, it was kind of like a jab step but yeah. once he gets going he really flies yeah he's more of a second gear to him he really does yeah. have kind of a second gear to him uh, he penny hart's a guy that takes it all the way to the house andy isabella is more of uh you know hey he's gonna take it he gets a big gain but he might get you know you might some corner in the nfl might catch him 45 yards downfield but each one's gonna be a big chunk you know right uh, so so penny hart's a guy too that's out there that is kind of andy isabella light yeah, and I mean, all the wide receivers we've talked about, McLaurin, Isabella, Hart, and even Debo Samuel, those should all be options for the Broncos after round one. I mean, yeah. you could take Samuel in the second, you could take McLaurin maybe early fourth, and, you know, try to get Isabella in like the fifth, and Hart maybe like the sixth. I mean, you've real, got options. Real quick on Isabella and just what you were talking about with the Broncos. What was their biggest problem once Emmanuel Sanders went down? It was inability to get separation. They've got long, lanky, athletic receivers for days, and yet when they're covered by number one receivers, these guys can't get open. A guy like Andy Isabella would be a game changer for the Broncos' offense because it, when it's third and three, and you need and you want to pass the ball, like you need a guy who gets separation, and that was, I mean, the death of them over the last four games of the season. No one could get separation. That's why they averaged, you know, 12 and a half points a game or something. One couldn't convert a third down to save their life. Having someone like that, all of a sudden you can take advantage of the space that those other guys are creating outside underneath and start to really do something. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I 100% agree. And I think especially, you know, some of those plays that they want where, hey, you want to run a quick out, you want to run a comeback route, you want to run an option route. You know, we saw that uh, that female coach of the 49ers breaking down that those option routes to those guys on Twitter. That was awesome. You know, yeah, which was incredible. Um, but, you know, you want those routes to be ran by quick twitch players. Yep. You know, and... It's been too often Cody Latimer running that route or Benny, you know, Fowler. Benny Fowler running that route. Ugh. It's unacceptable. 
You know, it really no, is. No, agreed. And I mean, Isaiah McKenzie couldn't do it, and right. Carlos Henderson couldn't do it. They've tried. They're just they they're getting it wrong. Yeah. Okay. Hey, let's go to a break. We'll be right back. Uh, you know, I we, we have there's so much we can talk about. Um, you know, Dalton Risner, a Colorado guy. I want to get into that a little bit. I but there's so much we can talk about. We're gonna get into some uh, comments and some questions from the listeners. And so stick around right here on the BSN Broncos podcast. Hey, remember, guys. Uh, all of our work, and we did some amazing content, a lot of exclusive stuff um, on bsndenver.com. Go to the subscription page, click on the annual pass, use promo code Senior Bowl. If you tried yesterday, we forgot to actually create the promo code uh, when we said that. So, But it's created now. We've been working long hours out here. Promo code Senior Bowl, all one word. You'll get an annual pass for 25 bucks. 25 bucks, unlimited access to BSN for an entire year if you use promo code Senior Bowl um, in the annual pass subscription side. We'll be right back. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Welcome back to the BSN Broncos podcast on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. We are here in Mobile, Alabama. It sounds a little different than usual because we have the whole crew here. I'm Brandon Spano. Andre Simone is with me. And, of course, your normal host, the amazing Ryan Konigsberg and Zach Stevens. This segment, we're going to jump into questions from you guys. We have so much content. We're going to try to get to all of these questions. We are going to get to all of these questions, and then we're going to try to get to some content, some exclusive stuff that we talked about, uh, and, and we're going to try to slip that in. But really, you need to make sure that you go to bsndenver.com and subscribe so that you can consume this. You know, One of the reasons we came down here was so that we could get exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else, and Zach Stevens got that. Yesterday, uh, why don't you tell him, Zach, just a quick snippet. You had a chance to talk with Kyle Shanahan about the Broncos OC. Let's just say Kyle Shanahan was very sad to see Rick Scangarello leave his staff. There you go. Yeah, you know, real quick, some backstory on that. Um, I asked uh, Kyle Shanahan one one question during his formal press conference about Scangarello, and it's kind of tough in these things because you don't want to um, dominate the press conference yourself, even though you want to get you know a bunch of answers for your story. So I thought to myself, all right, well, I'll follow him after the press conference and try and get him. Well, as I like take two steps towards Kyle Shanahan, I see Zach on like the zoom zooms catch up to Kyle Shanahan before I could even like turn the corner to start walking towards him. Zach was already in his ear uh, and, and got, uh, you know, three or four really good answers from him about Rich Scangarello. So uh, hat tip to Zach. That's, that's why we're here. And it's work with the quarterbacks <laughs> and all that. So really a phenomenal piece. You'll have to subscribe. to. And know if you more. don't subscribe, 
all of Zach's hard work went to waste. Don't do that to That's me. right. Well. Use, make sure that you go to bsintendenver.com and use promo code SENIORBOWL, all one word, to get an annual pass for 25 bucks. 25 bucks gets you covered for the entire year. And, uh, you know, yesterday I got a chance to talk with Dalton Risner, the tackle or center, depending on where he goes, uh, of K-State that's from Wiggins, Colorado. This guy is like... Once you read this, and Ryan was all about it last night, it's pretty much like the Broncos have to draft this guy. So make sure you check that out. That's a fun piece. Let's let's jump into some questions here. Um, we've got a ton of them piled up. I think twenty questions today. So let's fly through these. Uh, Karsh is on here, and he said it's been a while since he's commented. Welcome back, Karsh. He said I'm getting hyped about this draft, especially the QBs. I'm so excited to see a new young quarterback in Denver. I really hope that's the direction we go in the first round. I can see situations where all three of the top quarterbacks, and he says Haskins, Locke, and Murray, find success in the NFL. I just hope it's with the Broncos. My question is, after hiring a successful QB coach as our OC, is it more plausible to draft a guy like Locke and develop him more? I don't think Denver has really had the right staff to develop a quarterback before now. But with Scangarello and company in the building, I think that might change. Locke seems to have gotten better every year, and at least from his interviews at the Senior Bowl, it seems like he's very coachable, and I agree with that. Plus, my mouth is watering, he says, that the idea of him throwing deep balls to Sutton for years to come. Interested to hear your take on the matter. Looking forward to some killer Senior Bowl coverage. You guys are the best. What do you think, guys? Karch, absolutely. You hit it right on the head. Why wait? Why wait? This is what Ryan and I have talked about this offseason. They're a year away from really being that. So why not get that rookie coach, rookie coordinator, rookie quarterback, get all that out of the way, let them learn now together? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, And whether it's Drew Locke or Murray or Haskins, whoever it is, they got to get a guy in there this year. I mean, I I really – every day that passes, I just – I get further away from thinking of a possibility in which the Broncos don't draft a quarterback this year. There's guys out there. There's clearly a guy down here in Locke. There's clearly Haskins and Murray. So, when it comes down to it, the Broncos are going to have to get a guy in the draft this year. There you go. We're going to go to the next question here. Uh, Timmy from Sweden. Uh Timanty? Is that what, is that what you guys? Timanity. Timanity. Oh, Timanity. <laughs> I was thinking like a mix of Timothy. <laughs> Timanity. Timmy from from Sweden. Hey, BSN family. I was wondering about the middle linebacking position and thought about free agency. There's a name that came up to mind. It's not C.J. Mosley. He'll get re-signed, but it's Quan Alexander. He had an ACL tear this season, but from what I've seen and heard, he's having a great recovery. Doesn't he fit Fangio's kind of athletic middle linebacker type? What do you guys think of the idea? Yeah, that's 100% what I highlighted in our film room on the um, Vic Fangio defense, and actually I threw Quan Alexander with C.J. Mosley and... um, right from the Seahawks in there. He would absolutely fit, has had three great seasons as a pro coming off his worst season because of the ACL tear. Maybe he can be had at a bargain deal and he'd fit perfectly. I've also mentioned with the linebackers he needs, you don't have to spend premium assets to get a linebacker. You could find someone like Terrell Hanks a little later in the draft and take him, for example. Yeah, you get a pro bowler just in 2017. You absolutely add him. Probably going to be at a steep price. And, guys, we're in his territory right now. Born and raised in you Alabama. You look excited. 
You look excited <laughs> about the addition. Born and raised in Alabama and then went to LSU and we're going to be there tomorrow. So he, he could have been on this trip. <laughs> he could be sitting in this chair with us. Chris O'Brien says rough year for Broncos country, but let's all bask in the beautiful fact that Brady and Belichick are 0-3 in Denver in the playoffs, but 4-1 and in road playoff games in every other city. Go Broncos. Weird flex. Question for you guys. <laughs> How do you think the NFL responds to the atrocious non-call in the Rams-Saints game? If coaches can call in plays directly to the quarterback's ear, then why is the league office not calling into the ref's ear when necessary? And that's actually a great point. We've seen actually in, in that game in every single challenge or every single um, you know replay that was reviewed – the, the head ref talking to somebody back in New York or talking to somebody up in the box, wherever that was from. And the, the one where it almost hit Edelman, the, the, the punt did or didn't hit Edelman. Um, he was actually on the line with whoever that was for, it seemed like 10 minutes they were talking about that call. So uh, that's certainly the case. I don't know if you want him directly in the ear, you know, this goes back and Zach, you can, you can talk about this to our, first uber ride last year in new orleans where we met this guy <laughs> that watches all these youtube conspiracies and he had no idea who we were or that we covered the nfl and he was telling us all of this stuff about how the nfl is rigged and stuff i think that uh having a kind of big brother in the ref's ear <laughs> only adds to the conspiracy theory but it may be the best way to do it because uh you know uh, on monday a lot of people were saying yes so you're gonna have to uh, you're going to be able to challenge every pass interference call. And then yesterday, John Elway said, no. And he's on the competition committee. He said, no, you can't do that. That's going to slow down the game way too much. So maybe this is a, a, a fair middle ground. I wouldn't mind the idea. Um, they kind of do a similar thing in soccer where the, the ref has a wristband on. If something's wrong, they just buzz the wristband. He gets a vibration. He can look down. And if it says pass interference, then throw the pass interference flag. Obviously, it has to be clear. But I think maybe easier than being able to review things that are subjective, there is a, a head ref who is sitting you know, in New York or wherever it is watching the game, and he has a different angle from the cameras that the guys on the field have. And as long as it's before the next snap, they can buzz down and tell him, hey, you got to throw a flag. Let's go to Sill Forge. Uh, hey, guys, fantastic pod as usual. I have just had a question. I vaguely recall Ryan saying something months ago about how the first possession and a half for a team has the best chance to score a touchdown. I may very well be misremembering this, but if that was the case, does it translate to overtime as well? I obviously feel it is quite unfair to allow a team to win off of a touchdown. Frankly, it's hard enough to score one, so why not give the other team a shot, especially if the first team gets the ball, has the best chance to score. Thanks, guys, and go Rams. So what I was saying is that the first possession of the game is the, is the possession that's scored on the most because it's the possession that's scripted. Um, throughout the week, the, you know, the offensive coordinator and the coach and the quarterback and whoever, they go through their favorite 15 or so plays. And so you see a lot of teams score on the first possession of, of, the, of the game, the last possession of the half because teams don't want to give up a touchdown, so they, they go back. So you see a lot of field goals then. And then in the last possession of the game for the same reason. So I don't think it applies to overtime, but I do think it would be a very easy switch for the NFL to just say both teams get a possession no matter what. You can tell Sil Forge did not want the Patriots winning that game. 
That's right. Hey, BSN family. This one's from Ryan Clayman, MVP. He's a Hall of Famer, BSN Hall of Fame subscriber, uh, lifetimer. I, this is like Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> Ryan Clayman, first of of the Claymans, uh, you know, lifetime subscriber, Hall of Fame of Hall of Famers. Uh, hey, BSN family, I spent the whole weekend trying to convince my family to root for the Pats, but they wanted KC to win. I threw out all the things you guys said on the pod to show them why the Pats had to win. The only thing they could reply back was how much they hated Brady. I was riding high in the first half, but at the end of the game, my heart was raised. Me versus my family. I was the only one who is happy of the with the outcome. Now it is time to root for the Rams and hand the Pats the most super the biggest Super Bowl lost ever. Uh can't wait for the pod. Go Rams, go Broncos. Well, whoever you chose, uh, you know, the the side that Zach and I was on was right. And uh now everyone can get back together. There's no division. Everyone in Broncos country is rooting for the Rams uh to win the Super Bowl. Let's go to uh, Chilango Bronco. Hey, guys, here's an idea to be in the top three of the draft without selling the farm. For this to work, we need to get Antonio Brown for a second-round pick, maybe a second and a third. Uh, don't get rid of Emmanuel Sanders. We, we will need him. Then, at the draft, trade A.B. and our, and our ten, tenth, overall pick. tenth overall pick to the 49ers for their pick. I think it would be appealing for them. Then get your quarterback, and essentially you only used a second and a third. Could this be done? Can't wait to listen to your opinions. Uh, the offseason is fun. This is actually really well thought out. Yeah, I love <laughs> the thinking there. I just wonder why would San Francisco not just go directly to the Steelers and make that Well, trip? maybe you made a better offer uh, from the Steelers. Right. You know, they only wanted to give up a second. You gave up a second and a third. And so – they lose out on that, you know, they don't get their chance. And then they have that, you know, it's like in uh, in draft day where he's like so in love with that Jeez. prospect now that he has to go get him. Yeah, I mean, it seems a little unrealistic if you ask me. Usually to move up in the draft, you need to trade just picks. The whole player and picks, ah, that's a little old school. It doesn't usually work that way. I just like that this was actually realistic and well thought out because so often it's like, well, why that was we exciting just... until Andre uh, decided to just <laughs> dump on it with a double thumbs down <laughs> frowny face. It's I'm so weird saying, because Andre's been happen. so upbeat all week. Always Kanoi <laughs> <laughs> um, 28. Sorry. One more from the mock. Is Drew Locke going to fall out of the first round and Denver has a chance to maybe move up in the second and get him? You guys keep saying Elway loves him, but it doesn't mean necessarily that he loves him in the first round, right? Have we said Elway? Did you guys say Elway loves? You loves can see this lock? questions from the 18th, and you know a lot has changed since then. That's sure. uh, that's how fluid this whole draft situation is. I think that at that point you were seeing a lot of mock drafts that didn't have mo a lock in them. I think that's rapidly changing after how impressive he was at the press conference and uh, what he's been able to do thus far in the first day of practice. I think. That's uh, too optimistic to be able to wait till the second round to get Drew Locke. Here's what I'll say. If a quarterback starts in the first round in terms of their buzz and ends up in the second round in terms of where they're going, you don't want him because something's gone wrong. Quarterbacks traditionally during the draft process, only the good ones, only go up, up, up. Um, it's very rare that you see you know a guy go down because of 
you know, Drew Locke's been considered was being talked about as a number one overall pick last year at this time, you know, for this year. So if for some reason he was to end up in the second round, it would not be a good sign and not a guy that you should probably want to take. A perfect example is Paxton Lynch, right? There was there was times where Paxton Lynch was considered to be in that top five range. By the end of things, he was all the way down at 21 or whatever and and clearly was a bad pick. So, um, no, I don't think you can get Drew Locke in the second. And, no, I don't think even if you could, you would want to take a, a quarterback that originally was a, considered a first-round guy that ended up in the second. We're going to stick with you, Andre. Mel Kuyper, uh, this one comes from SLC Broncos. Mel Kuyper has Denver picking DeAndre Baker with the 10th overall pick, though I'm not sure if I always take Mel Kuyper seriously all the time. Uh, anyways, I do love him as a player, but all signs to me have been pointing to Elway and company wanting to give a young quarterback in this year's draft with all the reports I've been hearing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts if you've had a chance to see his mock drafts. Thanks, guys, as always. Yeah, I think, and we've talked about this a good amount, especially with the change in scheme. I don't think spending a top 10 pick on a cornerback is what Vic Fangio needs to upgrade the defense. I think you can find other ways through free agency in the draft to help. I think you got to go all in on offense. Uh, so, and even DeAndre Baker, I like him as a prospect. I think 10 is right at the top of his range. So you're just slightly reaching. So yeah, I, I just think that'd be, uh, that'd be excessive and not exactly the strategy that the Broncos will try to implement. Um, just so that everybody out, you know, listening knows, if you want to submit a question for the podcast, uh, all you have to do is subscribe to BS in Denver, and then you respond to the post on BS in Denver that the podcast is posted on in the comments section. In the following podcast, the guys will read your comments there. That's how all these amazing subscribers got their uh, questions in. So make sure you're doing that. Use promo code Senior Bowl for $25 annual pass. Uh, let's go to Yeti Roar. Okay, guys, I've been waiting for all the coaching assignments to be handed out before revisiting my crossroads, quote-unquote, before the Fangio hire. After seeing all of the decisions be made, I have to say that I'm terrified by how optimistic I feel. <laughs> I was so ready to say that this would be another huge coaching cycle, another rough coaching cycle rather, but instead I'm starting to suspect that this was a straight up coop. Wow, he says. Elway went full Ash Ketchum and <laughs> caught them all. And at this point, the future looks like it's in the best of hands. Now being slightly cynical and somewhat of a pessimist, here is my fear. Because of course I have to find something to be afraid of even in the best of situations assume all of these coaches and coordinators are home runs what's the longest they will be coaching for the broncos two seasons three seasons i understand promotions mean you found talent but isn't there any loyalty amongst the staff where we don't need to worry about coaching turnover bonus note i think skangy will do he's calling him skangy will do wonders for lock if Elway drafts him. And here's the thing. If he does wonders for, for, for Locke uh, after Elway drafts him, if he goes that route, well, then he's going to be a head coach in two years. So you want the coaching staff to have turnover in the way where these guys are getting hired away, not how we've seen it recently where coaching staffs are getting fired away and you have to bring new guys in. It's okay when people are getting plucked from your staff. That means that you're being successful, and the Broncos haven't had that in a while. Here's the thing. 
is this is one of the main reasons why I wanted an offensive-minded head coach. And, and it's the reason why quarterbacks coaches are becoming head coaches everywhere you turn. The reason is because no one can poach them. You can't poach Andy Reid. And so you're going to have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes as long as you want. You can't poach Sean McVay, and he's going to be with Jared Goff forever. So, yeah, is it going to suck if if Drew Locke comes in, Rick Scangarello puts him under his wing, turns him into a legitimate guy, and then next year – I mean, it could literally happen that fast. Next year he gets hired to being a head coach? Yeah, that's going to suck. And, and it's one of the things that you have to consider when making a hire. But, again, like Zach said, if that happens, it means Drew Locke had a great season – now all you got to do is go find another young quarterback coach to come in and be your offensive coordinator and hope it works again. But uh, press Taylor, maybe. But yeah, it, it is the. It, that's why Cliff Kingsbury is a head coach. That's why you know Zach Taylor is about to be a head coach because teams are thinking the only way we can give we can guarantee our quarterback has continuity is if we make an offensive guy our head coach. Let's go to this last question here. Uh, Rich Dude with a short, quick question. He's too busy making money to ask a long question. Um, Rich Dude says, uh, and this one's for you here, Dre. I'm looking at Michael Pinckney this year in the third or fourth, if I'm Elway. White from LSU is incredible, but Pinckney seems draftable in the later rounds and fits the mold you guys described. First of all, let the listeners know uh, who's Michael Pinckney, uh, what position he plays, what school, and uh, is there a chance he goes third or fourth? Yeah, that's a great question right there. Definitely a name to keep track on. I'm sure we'll talk about him a bunch in the draft prospect, uh, the draft podcast next season because the Miami kid, Michael Pinckney, will be returning to school. So, Sadly, he won't be available. The Broncos will have to address the linebacker position with other prospects. Got to spend more time on the Internet, Rich, dude. Uh, okay, so let's uh, jump to a break real quick. And we're not going to even go to a traditional break. Uh, I just want to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. Presenting sponsor of this show. Couldn't do it without Strava Craft Coffee. CBD-infused coffee. Not only is it rich and refreshing and uh, really the best coffee that you know all of us have ever tasted. We all drink it through BSN here, but uh, it makes you feel good. It's CBD-infused. And if you use promo code BSN2018, you'll get 20% off of your purchase. So make sure you go to Strava Craft Coffee, uh, get a little CBD-infused coffee in your system, and uh, use uh, BSN2018 for 20% off. Okay, let's jump back to the questions. We have five more, and then we're going to jump uh, into a little more prospect talk, tell you guys about a really special exclusive sit-down that I had with a great Colorado prospect. Uh, let's go to Mile High Canson, uh, and he said, uh, Hey, guys, love hearing the whole BSN Broncos team on the pod. Uh, Brandon Spano's been tremendous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he said, as you can see by my username, I live in Kansas. So seeing KC lose was awesome. Uh, with that being said, I'm also a huge K-State fan, and I would love to see Dalton Risner in orange and blue. Perfect. He definitely fits the draft approach Elway took last year by being a team captain, first team Big 12, etc. Do you think the Broncos will look at him? I fear his draft stock doesn't mesh with where the Broncos pick in the draft. 10 is too high, and I doubt he makes it to 41. 
Thanks for your insight. Mile High Cans, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to kick your question to the end because we're going to get through these questions, and then we're going to actually drill deep into Dalton Risner and tell you about his story and why we think he could be a fit for the Broncos in the draft. Let's go to Coltrane. What I love about Locke is he improved every season as a starter. Shows he's willing to learn and takes the game seriously. Pair that with his big-time arm and a gunslinger swagger. He has the potential to be special. I still like Haskins and Murray a bit more, but I'm starting to buy in on Locke. Also, I'm with Just Forbus on Minshew. Wouldn't mind Denver taking the Redskins' RG3 Cousins approach and drafting them both. Locke and Minshew if he's there in the fourth or fifth round. Whatever it takes to get a franchise quarterback I actually love this question. Ryan, this is something that I had a Twitter diatribe about last week. This is something that me and you have talked about over beers numerous times in the last couple years. So I'll let you just kind of attack at the full throttle approach of finding a quarterback. Yeah, and Zach actually uh, has done at least one, maybe two stories on this approach too. It's something that we all kind of agree with here. 100%. The more you watch football, the more you realize there's literally only one position that matters, and it's quarterback. And, yes, do you need the pieces around it? Of course. But, you know, Brandon was talking about this literally last night as we were sitting down here. The Gil Brand approach which was always you got to start with the quarterback, then you get the guys that protect the quarterback, and so on and so forth. I think I think you can never – no team has ever been like, man, we just – we just invested too much in the quarterback position. We just right. we tried too hard to get the right guy, and, and you know it just hurt us in the long run. It's not the way it is unless you don't get the right guy. Then of course it'll hurt. But you know you're gonna you're gonna want to keep Keenum. You're going to want to spend a first round draft pick on it. And I'm not gonna knock the Broncos if they want to go get Gardner Minshew in the fourth or fifth round. On top of that, it's it's a situation where the cupboard is completely bare in Denver, and yeah. so you have to stock it. And so if you have to use two draft picks in one draft on quarterbacks, that's okay because what's the worst case scenario? Gardner Minshew becomes a, a you know a long-term backup and you use a fifth rounder on him or or what what if he's too good? And, and then you trade him for a couple first round picks like yep. the uh, the Patriots did. So you can never have too many quarterbacks and and if you hit on them then then you know you're just going to have an embarrassment of riches. And I can th- I think I can speak for all of us. We all liked what we saw from Gardner Minshew yesterday on the field. Big time. I thought he was the most consistent quarterback out there, frankly, you could, above everyone else. The most accurate, too, I thought. You could make an, a case for him over Daniel Jones yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you can make a case for him over Locke, that he was more consistent, looked more comfortable under center, was more accurate. I wouldn't course, go that far. Locke had the greatest flashes, but I'm saying you could make an argument, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think when you think of NFL-type stuff, you didn't see that Agreed. as much. And I'll, and I'll double down on this and say it doesn't even have to come from the draft. You have Case Keenum in there. Maybe you go out and you sign a Nick Foles, and then you draft a guy. You trade down and draft a guy number two. Hell, I, you know, I don't care where you get him. Um, but you double and triple down on the quarterback position. This is what the Seattle Seahawks did when they got Russell Wilson. They signed that backup in Green Bay. They had just thrown six touchdowns. Matt Flynn. Uh, Matt Flynn. They also had Tavares Jackson already on the roster who started the last eight games for them the year before and was, like, decent. Um, and, and they just said, let the best man win. The Eagles did that when Doug Peterson came in, right? They brought Chase Daniel. They had Sam Bradford already on the roster. Right. That was Foles. their case, Keenum. Yep. They had Foles, and they brought – and they traded uh, – they traded down to pick up Carson Wentz, number two traded overall. Up, yeah. And then they made them all compete. They traded Bradford right before the preseason started, said, we don't need him, and let's roll. Got a uh, first-round pick for him, didn't they? Yep. 
Yep, got a first-round pick, uh, and then said, Foles, you're the backup. Chase Daniel, you're number three. Let's roll. You know? Yep. And and that's how you find good quarterbacks. Didn't they trade Daniel, too? No, Daniel, I think, stayed on the team. I think Foles left or almost retired there for a second, but... But, yeah, they were loaded at quarterback, and, I mean, that's a great example of how you can never have enough. Like, worst-case scenario is you trade one away for, like, nice draft returns, which really mitigated them having given up all those picks for Carson Wentz. I mean, that was huge. Let's go to Mr. Freeze. Man, you guys are going to get me all hyped up on lock just to have the Broncos not move up to be able to get him. I have to take a step back and calm myself down and get prepared for them to take Greedy or White at 10. Hey, you know what? Unfortunately, that's part of the draft. That's what always happens. You fall in love with a handful of guys. You have an idea who you want your teams to take. There's positions that you know in your heart as a fan need to be upgraded and then draft day comes and they trade back or they trade up and select somebody else and you're there scratching your head. And the only way to know whether or not it's a successful draft is to wait a couple years. And yeah. that's what's so tough about this, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about Broncos country right now is there's only two factions. There's um, Drew Luck is terrible and they shouldn't take him. And there's Drew Locke is too good, and they're not going to be able to get him at 10. I think it's hilarious that there's no middle ground there of like, oh, yeah, the Broncos should sit right there at 10 and take him. But I guess the idea is if he's good enough, you can't take a risk of sitting there at 10. And and I tend to agree. It's starting to look more and more like the Raiders are going to draft a quarterback. And because of that... I think the Broncos are going to have to be more aggressive if they want to get their guy. And here's the good thing, though. There's plenty of spots in that top five where you can trade up and teams will be willing to move down. You just have to be willing to part with an additional first-round pick or maybe two. Yeah, I mean, the thing is the Raiders are really the big caveat because it is a three-quarterback class with three teams in the top ten that need a quarterback, Giants, Jaguars, and Broncos. The Raiders could really throw a wrench in our plan. If you don't know what we're talking about because you haven't seen any hot rumors on Twitter, go to Ryan's story about that and find out more. I'm convinced. I think they're going to take a quarterback. Yeah, I really think that, I mean, Gruden was throwing out some hints yesterday maybe didn't even mean to. Or maybe he's trying to flaunt that second pick, right? Uh, That's what I, I mean, I I, I read that, you know. Fourth uh, pick. Or the fourth pick, right. Uh, you know, I, I was reading someone was saying that. A highly respected guy was saying that. Hey, what if the, what if Gruden's out there? They're just collecting picks, right, to rebuild yeah. this entire franchise. What if he's just going to keep mentioning Murray and they're going to play the card that, hey, we're going to take Murray and they want someone to come in and, and you know, back up the Brinks truck for that pick. How about that? Know. Elway and Gruden making a deal. That'd be oh, crazy. Uh, Just Forbes says, please keep a close eye on Gardner Minshew, guys. He seems like he's primed to be a dark horse steal in this draft, and no one seems to be talking about him. He has a very Baker Mayfield feel to him, and I know how much Elway loved Mayfield. He may not quite be at Mayfield's level, but he seems to be able to do everything you ask of at quarterback. That combined with his fiery personality, he could have real potential to change the culture of the offense if he ever gets a start. And with an innovative offensive coordinator, hopefully we can incorporate some of the leech air raid ideas to reinvigorate our offensive production. It's a low risk of picking him 
uh, up after the first and going all in on a quarterback next year if Minshew doesn't work out this year. But I think he could be special. I know he doesn't have the height Elway wants, but he seems to have some personality and attitude that has been lacking in Denver in the quarterback position since Peyton Manning was here. I know he was likely considered a fifth-ish round pick. How much do you expect this stock to rise at the, after the Senior Bowl? Ryan, you actually made a couple Mayfield comparisons just in physical appearance yesterday, but what do you think of Just Forbes's take here? Well... He does. He grew out the beard to go along with his fantastic mustache, and he actually does kind of look like Baker now. For me, that's where the comparison ends. Um, <laughs> I think the rest of my career covering senior bowls, I'm going to come down here and be like, ah, but he's not Baker. Ah, well, he's not Baker because, like, I can't explain to you what Baker mania was like here last year. I mean, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I'm pretty sure one of the podcasts was titled Baker mania. He took over the place. It was like all anyone could talk about around here was Baker Mayfield, the way he carried himself, the way he dominated the practices, the way people were leading him, the way he was treating his teammates. It was so effortless for him to come in and just be the head honcho. Like, like Vance, jo like you look at these two coaches, Kyle Shanahan and John Gruden, and people are looking at them like, wow, you know, these guys are serious coaches. That's how everyone was looking at Baker Mayfield last year. Like, no one was even talking about Vance Joseph as the leader of, you know, that team. It was Baker Mayfield's team 100%. So I'm not – I don't think I'm ever going to see another player that comes in here and, and commands respect like Baker did. Um, so it's going to be hard for me to compare any anyone to him. From a, from a playing standpoint, I don't think Gardner Minshew really is anything like Baker. I totally agree with that. I was – you know, I was with you last year. I mean, me and you were the only media left standing in the middle of that field <laughs> when he came out just hanging out next to Baker when he was practicing. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't – sometimes they talk about intangibles and, you know, the definition of an intangible is something that you really can't see or feel, and that's what Baker has. Uh, you know, Baker has something that you can't – or I should say see or describe – uh, Baker has that. He's got a moxie about him, a mojo about him, a, a you know, a, an aura around him uh, that is magnetic. And unless you've been around him, you you can't explain it. And that's what Ryan's talking about. Which of you asked one of the Oklahoma offensive linemen about the differences between Murray and Baker? That was me. Uh, I talked to what's his Hunt? Is his last name Hunt? Ben Hunt or something like along those lines? Um, Just a reminder that if you mention Mayfield in a question, some, even if know. it's about another player, Mayfield stories will take over the conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I just asked him, you know, how would you compare the two? He said, you know, they're really hard to compare. They're very different players, but I'll just say this. Baker was the better leader. Murray was the better athlete. And I said, and I, and I followed up, and I said, what separated Baker as a leader? And he, he said, I wish I could tell you, because if I knew, I'd be trying to do it myself. So, right. you know, he just has that thing. That's kind of the difference. And Minshew's more laid back in that sense. But look. On the field, yeah, they both come from similar offenses. They both have similar production. It's not He's a poor man's baker for sure, but he could turn into a starter. I'm very intrigued by Minshew, that's for sure. What The interesting point that's kind of lost in this question, I think, is how Minshew would allow you to bring some of the leech offense. And this is something I don't think we talk about enough, is when you draft one of these quarterbacks, it's so key to adapt to them and incorporate some of the offensive stuff that they have. That's why the Chiefs worked out so well, and it's like doubling up. It makes me think of a like Batman figure 
Batmobile not included, but like Patrick Mahomes, Cliff Kingsbury's offense was included with that because Andy Reid was smart enough to to incorporate that. Deshaun Watson, Debo, uh, Dabo Sweeney's offense was incorporated in that because the Texans have been smart enough to do that. Whoever you draft, if you draft Kyler Murray, you better have the Lincoln Riley offense included in that. And I think that's a great point in this question. I, I could not agree with that more. I think Andre is very passionate about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I 100% no, agree. It's dumb to do anything else. It's literally dumb. Yeah. If you bring in a player and you try and change what they did well, you're, I mean, you're taking out the gun, you're loading it, and you're aiming it at your foot, and you're just waiting for it to go off. There's n- absolutely no excuse for drafting a quarterback and trying to change their system unless they didn't have a lot of success in college. And Drew Locke is actually an right. interesting case study there yes. to say yes. – you actually, it's actually up to you to figure out what the perfect offense is for Drew right. Locke because Missouri didn't have it. And no. we talk about all the time, not, not to bore down this thing, and this will be quick, but we talk about all the time the parallels of football and business and, you know, uh, w- the way that personnel is handled and, and brought in. And, uh, you know, it, it's so there's so many parallels there. Steve Jobs had an amazing quote that says, we don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. We hire smart people to tell us what to do. Yeah. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you're hiring quarterbacks to tell you what to do, but you're not you're not bringing this guy in to change them. You know, if you wanted that, you could find somebody that, you know, can operate, you know, perfectly under what you're trying to do. And, and that person probably doesn't have a very high ceiling. Um, Vance but Joseph. If, yeah, if you want Vance Joseph is a great, great you know uh, example there. But if you want a guy that's want to come in and you want to change the culture of the team, which is what they always talk about with the quarterback, you want to change the offense, you want to get dynamic, all those things. Hey, you better bring this guy in. And you know what we hear a lot of is, hey, we're not only are we installing the offense and some of the things that they did in college, but we're talking to them openly and getting their ideas. And they're saying, hey, I don't like this call. This isn't the call. And we see that with um, Patrick Mahomes all the time. If you watch anything on it, it's Patrick Mahomes telling Andy, I don't want, nah, I don't like this. I don't want this, you know? Um, And if you don't have that back and forth, we know the Broncos didn't have that, you know? If you don't have that back and forth, ah, this is what I think we should run. This is going to be open here. And the coach listening, then, hey, you're not operating a great offense in 2019. Yep, 100%. Okay, last question here. Threat level midnight. Uh, great username. Consider me all in on Drew Locke. Immediately after listening to this pod, I went and watched a highlight tape of him, and wow, he stands in the pocket, steps up when needed, goes through his reads, and has incredible touch on the ball. It didn't even look like he had to give much effort on his throws. I'll bet I did see one or two that fell slightly short on the deep passes. Here's to hoping he falls to 10, and Elway has a good poker face leading up to that. I don't think he said anything that we hadn't seen this weekend, fellas. And we haven't said in segment one, frankly. Well, it's funny because he mentioned um, a highlight tape, and then he mentioned he steps up in the pocket, he stands in there, his base is good, all those things. When all those things are true, he does create highlights. The trick for Rich Gangarello, if, if that's who it is, is to be able to get him to do that on a consistent basis. And if you do, you're going to have a star quarterback. Well, and what I really liked yesterday was his mobility and throwing on the run. Exactly. And incorporating some RPOs. Yes. And, and I feel like he can incorporate enough of that to be adaptive and to run so many different types of offenses. 100%. If there's one thing I'll say about Locke, just to 
put everything into context for you know a lot of these comments have been excited about Locke. Um, he really has improved in important areas of the game. We should mention his production did go down from his junior to his senior year. And we're still trying to figure out exactly why. I think in some ways he got a little conservative. His accuracy can come and go. He's talked about the improvements he needs his to make on his footwork. His accuracy did go up, though. That was one of the things that went up. Yes, I think. The, but his accuracy is not it's like not one of his strengths yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and i mean there's areas he needs to work on he's talked about his footwork so he's far from a finished product but he's without a doubt intriguing and and we'll see so we have a bonus question that's coming in from jared fry along this subject he says can we get a pro comparison for ceiling and floor for each quarterback at the senior bowl i.e drew Locke's floor could be blaine gabbert and his ceiling could be matt stafford thanks guys so maybe we should we should do lock uh and, and a few of the top guys dre oh um let's start with kyler murray that's probably the easiest um floor is johnny manzel or like vernon adams uh, so out of the league in Canada and struggling in Canada. Uh, ceiling is... Russell Wilson. Russ. Yeah, Russ with some like Vic in his prime and RG3's rookie season thrown in there. Like that kind of electric. <laughs> so he can suck or he can be the GOAT. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, Haskins to me is... Could be a, a better, more consistent Goff. Uh, that's his ceiling. I think his floor would be a little Derek Carr. Shaw, Shaw uh, Derek Ooh, Carr is a great, great floor. But that's um, that's a really Derek high floor. It is a high floor. A really yeah, high it is a high floor. floor. Well, uh, Jake Locker. Mm. I, I would have said maybe. His his floor uh, floor his basement is like Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert, there you um, go. There you go. That's his floor. Blaine. But Gabbert. yeah, I do not mind Derek Carr as yeah. his. I mean, here's the maybe thing about David him. Carr's his basement. The thing about him is that he's going to play in the NFL for the next 15 years, whether it's as a third string quarterback or a first string quarterback. Mm -hmm. Like that kid's going to play in the league, guaranteed. And Drew Locke. That's the tricky one. I think he's more athletic than Stafford. I think he could, you know, Stafford to some extent, aside from the stats being nice, I think has never really reached his full potential. What do you think about this? Ceiling is prime Cutler that should have been. Floor is old Cutler that was reality. And it, it is worse. I do not mind that at all. I yeah, like ceiling that. Ceiling is like what Cutler could have been if he stayed with Shanahan his whole career. Right. Or like because Daniels would have just developed and it. was focused the whole time. People don't forget. I mean, people do forget. People forget Cutler was unbelievable. Like, I mean, he opened the 2000 whatever season, 2008 season, whatever that was with his second year with, you know, six touchdown night. I think Eddie Royal cut five of them or something like that. You know, I don't think it was that crazy, but he had an amazing. Well, game. well he was reaching 4000 yards by his second season already. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I was blown was away. really impressive. Yeah. I, uh, does anyone? Everyone's so just like, oh. I know he's so <laughs> Has anyone ever heard like <laughs> he's so rough. <laughs> what was McDaniel's issue with Jay Cutler? He just wanted his guy. Like, he wanted Matt Castle. Right. He wanted Matt Castle. But did he have an issue with something that Cutler was doing? Because like, how could you look at Matt Castle and Jay Cutler well, and he, say like, I would because, rather have this Because guy. I'll tell you exactly why. I covered the team back then. Listen, here's why. Because those guys 
believe that it's all upstairs. Those guys think that if you're a quarterback and you show up every single morning at 5 a.m. and you leave at midnight and you breathe film and you're like Manning reading the playbook in the cold tub, you know, that's how you become a great quarterback. And that if you have that commitment uh, and you have the physical tools, any physical tools that they can coach you into that position and go win championships with you. But if you don't have Brady that, Brady is a perfect example of that. If you right. don't have that, then it doesn't matter if you can throw literal, you know, 50-yard laser beams, which Jay Cutler could. It doesn't matter what yeah. your athletic. It doesn't matter any of that. And Jay Cutler was just, was not going to be the cup of tea of of the Josh McDaniels, you know, uh, just just the well-oiled machine that he right. wanted to run. Well, and there was some ego from McDaniels, I think, too, of like, I can develop Castle into like the next yeah, absolutely. Brady. Absolutely. I mean, McDaniels thought he could develop get... Tim Tebow into a great right. quarterback. I mean, right. that shows you all the ego you need to know there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd uh, like to say, I'd just like to take credit. I think I was the first person to make the Drew Locke, Jay Cutler comparison. <laughs> the easiest comparison out there. Ryan had it first. I don't, it's only easy wow. now. It wasn't Shots easy. Fired it wasn't easy when I made the call. Wow. Let's go back to Mile High Kansan, who wants to know all about Dalton Risner. Yes. Um, yes. Tell us. This about is him. actually a fascinating one, guys. Uh, Dalton Risner is this six foot five. 305 pound tackle from Kansas State. He comes from Wiggins, Colorado. Uh, and just so you kind of have an idea of what that means, what it means is that he played 1A football. He had 17 guys on his football team, 800 people in his entire town. That's the population. Um, and he was the first person from Wiggins to play Division One football, and he's about to be the first person from Wiggins to play in the NFL. And the quote he gave me was, I can promise you one thing, college scouts aren't coming through Wiggins, Colorado to see what type of talent there was. Um, now, I'm not going to get into the whole story here because you really need to subscribe to read it. It's a yeah. thousand-word story. Must read. Tons of quotes um, and really a lot about why this guy should be a Denver Bronco. But at the end of the day, we all came away with the same thing. Um, you know, there's a couple things that the Broncos like, and this guy has it. You know, one quote that I loved in here um, was, let me pull this here. One of the one of my attributes of being a good offensive lineman is my mean streak, a guy that likes to finish guys into the ground. Uh, he also said, if you put my tape on and you talk to scouts, I hope the first thing you hear is how I'm burying guys downfield. Like, what's wrong with Wisner? He looks like someone did something wrong to him before the game. This guy is, to me, uh, you know, bona fide first round, maybe second round pick. And I think he could possibly be there when the Broncos pick in the second round. At 41? It's going to be, yeah. The, um, he could be, but there's a good chance he might not be. That's that's the sweet spot for him, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to go between 20 and 40, and we yes. don't know where. Yep, Agreed. We don't know where. Maybe 20 and 50. Right, maybe, maybe 20 sure, and 50, but, right? I mean, right. And let me tell you, that, that attitude good. that you talked about, that, that he told you about, that reminds me of one guy from all the offensive line, linemen I've talked to with the Broncos uh, in the drafts the past few years, including this year, Quentin Nelson. 
How does that sound? Yeah, now, I, I'm does. not saying it translates to be the it exact does. same type of player, but that's the attitude he had when Ryan and I talked to him last year at the Combine. And unlike Nelson, he can actually play tackle, which was kind of the big knock on Nelson. And even though all these coaches and Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, kept kind of saying, yeah, he probably fits best inside, Risner was very firm when I talked to him of, Me too. look, I've got the length. I've got three years on tape. I haven't allowed a sack in two seasons. I went against a guy like Montez Sweat, who's you know one of the best prospects here at the Senior Bowl, a bona fide first rounder, a guy who dominated the SEC, didn't allow, it a, allow a sack. That's and right. I should be playing right tackle. They should allow me to fail. Hey. He compared himself to Mitchell Schwartz. We both thought that was a really good comp. He compared himself to Mitchell Schwartz. He said, I reached out to Mitchell Schwartz because I'm in Kansas out there. Got a chance to talk with him. I'm trying to mold my game after him. He studies the tape. This guy's 6'5". He's 305 pounds. He has 34 and, a, and, and, and three quarter inch arms. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, he hasn't allowed a sack in over two years. Right. Um, and he was a three-year captain. I mean... This guy's a right tackle. Like, this guy's a right tackle in the NFL. We all talked man. about this last night and realized that, yeah, totally self-made. Uh, let them kind of get into the story to figure yeah. out how he got into the college and all this, but totally self-made guy that pushed himself I into the next level. But, um, you know, this this kid is a guy that we all talked about yesterday and said, how can you even put him at center with those arms at that size, with that ability why is he a center? The only thing we could make, Ryan, was that he's so smart, which the guy's a football student of the game, you know. Uh, he's so smart that they said, hey, we want this guy to lead the line. Yeah, I think that's got to be it. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the – he holds a lot of the intangibles that you look for in a center. But I think he profiles fine to play right tackle in the NFL. When I listen to him and, and I talk you – know, and, I, and I look at him and I see the way he plays, I just think – culture change like he's a culture changing offensive lineman he's a guy who can come into your line group and 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 be like a, a 15 year starter you know like the Andrew Whitworth of the Denver Broncos on the right side like that's the type of guy I really think that he has the opportunity to be in and I can't you know look past the fact that I just imagine a dude from Colorado blocking for a dude from Colorado on the Denver Broncos you know, Dalton Risner opening up holes for Philip Lindsay. Well, that's having, got something to it. Having Sam Jones on the line as well, another Colorado kid. And I mean, let's face it, some of the best picks the Broncos have been able to make have been Colorado kids. You know, guys like Shaq Barrett and Phil Lindsay. I guess they weren't picks, but, you know, uh, you guys ready to do the next agency. homegrown Dalton Risner T-shirt? Oh, my gosh, that'd be so great. <laughs> and, to, and to really to, to bring a full circle, then he's protecting a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Oh, why you gotta go there? Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait a boo. Oh, 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 oh. And Drew Locke. <laughs> yep. Drew Locke. If the Broncos ended up Drew Locke in the first round, Dalton Risner in the second round, it'd be cool. Ryan's smiling right well, now. I, I'm smiling because it just reminds me of last year when we're like, Baker Mayfield in the first, <laughs> Will Hernandez in the second. Yep. Yep. Oh, we were doing the whole draft. It was Kellen Balazs in the third and Isaac Yadam yep. in the fourth. Yep. And we had it. Or we might have had James Washington in there at one pick. Or it was our all-senior bowl team. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, but, I mean. Easily the, the most engaging and just natural leadership. There's videos on YouTube of his, like, half 
halftime speeches and, and like what in, a great leader in any industry there's something to be said for people who just go get it and the fact that in in i won't give away too much of your story but the fact that he reached out to mitchell schwartz pairs up perfectly with what you talked about in in part of your story and that like he's a go-getter he's a guy who's gonna not gonna sit back and be like oh well maybe mitchell schwartz will come to you know k-state and work out one day or something no he's gonna go out and find him and learn from him and right. those guys like those are the guys that have success at the next level, 100%. not the guys who think it's, it's going to come to me. It's, no, I'm going to go get it. You said Andrew Whitworth when, when talking about him, and he's not Andrew Whitworth's size, but you took a picture of him sitting in, in front of the press conference table yesterday. He looks like Andrew Whitworth. He is a massive human. Yeah. He really is. He really yeah. is. The, guy, the, guy's, impressive. Yeah, the, the guy's super impressive. And he, and he played well. He played well yesterday. He did a good job. He did a good job. That O-line's good. Um, yeah. Let's get a hold and of him. Before like, hey, we hey, close hey. out the show, we just want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. You already know that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a little bit of time, Total Bev is offering $10 off $50 purchase on their website and app. Use code BSN10 to save $10 off your $50 order for all your parties and have it delivered to your door. Download the Total Beverage app and use promo code BSN10 for $10 off your order. That's promo code BSN10 on Total Beverage app for 10 bucks off your next liquor delivery today. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in uh, to another edition of uh, the BSN Broncos podcast from down here at the Senior Bowl. Of course, we'll be back with you tomorrow. An interesting thing that we didn't even get a chance to talk about uh, to this point is that practice was moved today, actually, out of the view of media. They moved it to an indoor practice facility. Didn't Because it's us... a monsoon here right now. Yeah, it's yep. hurricane like Literal season. hurricane weather. So anyways, make sure to get those questions in for tomorrow. We'll have plenty to talk about, of course, but also plenty of time to answer any questions you might have about specific guys or whatever it may be from down here at the Senior Bowl. But for today, that's all we got, so we'll talk to you tomorrow.